0: Welcome everybody to episode 10 of Teed Up. We have very special guests here, uh, but before we get into that, want to give a quick shout out to Hames Homes. They're our sponsor. They provide beauty and comfort in homes in Eastern Iowa, so shout out to them. Uh, but we have our guest here, Brad Floyd. He is our trainer. Um, very, very integral part to the team in, in every way. Uh, extremely important. Does there's so much that goes under the radar, and I would say that you know trainers have as good of a a viewpoint as anyone. Like you, you guys catch so much stuff that other people don't see, and it, and I think that that's that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on, um, and also just because of the relationship we have. But you know, I think it's uh I think you definitely have a unique perspective on teams throughout the year. So we're gonna we're gonna hit on all of that. But thanks for uh thanks for joining us, Brad.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, you're completely right. Uh, we hear and see a lot of interesting stuff, so happy to share a little bit of that tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
2: conversations that are insane, and I've taken <laughs> part.
1: I, I yeah, starting part. with you. You're yeah. Starting with you, there's some really interesting stuff I here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> definitely do. I was going to say, I've definitely taken part in one of the insane conversations that you've heard. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to start with, Brad, uh, you I told you this already, but like kind of like why an athletic trainer? Like what led you to that? Like kind of growing up and like when did you decide that's what you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, Uh, good question. So growing up, I had no idea what an athletic trainer was. I'm from small town, Iowa, Clear Lake, a great little town, north central Iowa. And uh, we had no idea what an athlete. We didn't have an athletic trainer. I had no idea what to do. But what I knew I was interested in was uh, sports and medicine. So. Uh, I kind of fell upon it my freshman year at University of Iowa, which um, just growing up as a Hawkeye fan my whole life, like really an Iowa basketball fan my whole life. Like just watched Iowa basketball from I mean as early as I can remember. Like I fell in love with Armstrong and Roy Marble and Jeff Moe and all those greats of the late 80s and early 90s that we saw, Chris Street. I think I was 13, 14 years old when Chris Street passed away. So you know, I fell in love with Iowa basketball at an early age. So I was always in love with it, and then I think it was – I wasn't sure I was going to the University of Iowa until my junior year of high school. We came – state golf tournament was at Finkbine, so I played Finkbine. And then uh, a connection I had, um, one of my dad's high school friends uh, played basketball at Iowa, Ken Grabinski, and then uh, another guy worked in the equipment room at Carver, uh, Larry Jacobson. So they arranged a tour for us of Carver-Hawkeye Arena when we were here for the golf tournament, and just got a tour of the arena, went in the locker room, saw, like, Jared Koch and Brian Bowen's lockers, and I just was in love, so I came to the University of Iowa just out of love with the Hawkeyes, and then my freshman year, just talking to my guidance, or my uh, academic counselor, said, hey, here's what I'm interested in, what should I find, he said, hey, you should uh, go talk to Dan Foster, he was the program director at the time, and uh, so I met Dan Foster, started going to classes, got accepted into the program, and then I think my sophomore year, I still know I wanted to do it. And then I met John Streif. Uh, I think it was like at a gathering at the airliner for our program. Met him and they're like, yeah, he works with Iowa basketball. He's the athletic trainer for Iowa basketball. And if a lot of our listeners, hopefully they know John Streif. If you don't, you need to meet him. I know you guys know him really well. Incredible human being. Incredible athletic trainer. And um, I started doing some rotations with him and then it was over. Like I just knew, hey, uh, I could work with a uh, with a basketball team i didn't know i'd work at carver hawkeye arena with iowa basketball until later on but um like heck yeah that's what i want to do so uh fell in love with the the medicine aspect of the university of iowa and then the sports and it's just uh two things i really like come together so that's how i got here and uh then uh went to undergrad grad school here went uh worked with the basketball team throughout we can kind of get into that a little bit um before i left my first job at president state so yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you're definitely definitely a huge Hawkeye fan. So much so that you actually have a tattoo. Is yeah. That, is that right? Can we see it? That is true. Well, of, you can see it. Can yeah. See the...
1: This is this is kind of big because uh, oh I've, yeah, oh, yeah. you my wife, and a few friends know, if my mom listens to this, it's going to be news to her. i oh, yeah. sure she hasn't seen it, but she'll be okay with it, I hope. Um, but uh yeah so yeah i got that actually, i actually got it in october uh i was new i wanted to get a tattoo and it was just kind of easy decision my first tiger hawk so i think you referred me to the guy i went to he was great so
2: yeah no
0: we we're in the we're i was in there we were you were taping me or something you're like hey uh you go to the you go to the tattoo guy in, in west liberty don't you i'm like yeah like I'm he's he's good he's like yeah. oh yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna go up like i got an appointment let's do it <laughs> get the guy. and i'm like hey that's big time. But then you definitely kept it under wraps for a while. Like you didn't you didn't tell anybody about it.
1: Yeah. Like, I know. It was like wintertime, I'm not gonna yeah, I'm not gonna show it off. But now it's summer weather. I was in Vegas this weekend, so I gotta show it off at the pool and nobody in Las Vegas knows what Tiger Rock is, but it doesn't matter. It's my first time out in the sun with it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. About a lot of wild yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah.
0: Well, we okay, you brought it up. So now we we have to hit on Vegas. We have to. Yeah. You are a card shark, some would say you, you enjoy, I mean, whatever the game is, blackjack, pie gal, uh, poker, you know, we've, we've played numerous poker games on road trips. You know, Austin brings Austin brings the chips around and we just play as a team. Um, you know, you, you're the one that initially introduced me to pie gal where, is it just a love to gamble or is it a love for cards or is it a love for Vegas in itself? Like you are definitely well versed in yeah. all things casinos, <laughs> I would say you're 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 probably my go to guy if I have a question or anything like I'm gonna ask about Vegas, like you and Uncle Jack probably. Oh
1: yeah, Al- that was Al- interesting. Al- I mean yeah, yeah. Uncle Jack was a treat to play pie guy with, but yeah. So all the above answer your question. Uh, I played cards like as a kid, like my grand grandma and grandpa would play cards. So and then. Uh I went to Vegas. My first trip was when I I just turned 21. It was like the end of basketball season. Some guys were going and uh we went first trip, it was awful. First of all, we went for five nights, which is way too long for five college. Like you just can't survive five nights in Vegas if you're doing it right. Uh and we stayed downtown at Fremont Street at the Las Vegas Club, which doesn't exist anymore. It's where circa is at now. Thank God they they tore the place down. It was a dump. We stayed. I think we paid like (laughs) 35 bucks a night, split up five ways, lost everything, like 200 bucks, or whatever I had a minimal gambling budget. It was actually an awful trip, but uh, just absolutely love Vegas. So I've been going back a few times every year ever since. So I've been there a lot of times. Um, but yeah, I love cards. Like I'll play them all. Like I like kind of depends who you're with. Like if I'm with uh, uh, my wife, we were just there last weekend. Um, she prefers like video poker. So we'll sit and play video poker together. She knows how to play. I mean, she's married to me. She knows how to play all the games, but she just likes something more casual. You know, if I'm with some friends, um, my buddy Ken and I go a lot. We'll go play blackjack, craps, pie gal. Um, I got some other friends that we're going trips with. We'll sit down and just play uh, hold them or Omaha in the poker room. Um, so all the kinds of who I'm with and the mood I'm in. But yeah, I, I love cards. I love Las Vegas. Uh, love the shows, the restaurants. I just love it all. I can go. I'm happy going five times a year as I can,
0: so. Patrick, you were trying to organize a Vegas trip after the season, and I'm pretty sure Brad
2: was invited. On, <laughs> you invited about everybody on the team, right? Is that- yeah, basically it was a one-day thing where I just invited everybody that came into the meal room after practice. We had a training table, and everybody who walked in that was of age to go to Vegas – well, I guess you don't have to be of age to go to Vegas, but anybody who was able to gamble, I was like, hey, you want to go to Vegas when the season ends? And everybody was like, Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think Brad and Max and Courtney were all in and then, like, got a couple of the players. I think we could bring Phillip. Um, Ash always wants to go to Vegas. Connor, you said yes. Uh, Keegan said no. (laughs) Um,
1: You know know what we do? We go watch Keegan in summer league this summer, and then he's got to be there.
2: Yeah. No. yeah. And we try to get him to go gamble with us, which won't happen. I've tried to to go to Riverside so many times, and they will not go. The <laughs> only thing that would screw that
1: up is the Europe trip, right? Yeah, well, Summer League's like mid July. So, unless we're, we might have to practice. Did they but switch it? Is it mid July this year? Yeah, because last year was COVID stuff. So they pushed it back.
0: Last year was like early August. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's like, yeah, it's like the, I think that first weekend of recruiting, like after the 4th of July, I think that's usually when it starts. Oh, okay. But we can double check. But yeah, last year was a weird one because of COVID. I mean, oh. Brad.
2: It's not too late to still go to the to do the Vegas trip. It's not too late. Me, you, yeah. Max, Max, no girlfriend though. That was part of the rule. Max kept- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Patrick, Patrick, literally that lasted one day and you never brought it back up. That was- I still have a note list yeah.
2: in my phone. I have the note list in my phone of who, who who wanted to go and who. There was a couple babies on there. My friend Tristan wanted to go. <laughs> but there, were, there was a lot of us. And uh, but, yeah, I just kind of let that die pretty quick. Um, I know Austin's going to Vegas here soon, but uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think if, if I'm in charge of organizing a trip, it's probably just never going to happen or not going to go well. So I think somebody else should run point on that. If, if we still
1: want to have a Vegas trip, but
2: I am in. Yeah.
1: Funny. Here's a funny. I have a basketball story for it. When after Jeff Horner, Greg Bruner, uh, Eric Hansen, there's after, year so they'd all graduated and i think they took their they did like a tour around iowa playing games stuff like that they just made a bunch of money that summer we all went to vegas after they were done because they're about my i'm a couple years older than them but we're about the same age so we all went and uh one night I ended up with a hard rock with dennis rodman dancing on the bar he was dancing on the bar I was just, <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was crazy and then the other weird thing about it is i'm playing pie gal with my friend jesse he was there coincidentally those guys, I think a couple of them were at the Hard Rock, or yeah, I think a couple of them were at the Hard Rock with us, and then at the blackjack table next to us was uh, San Diego State's head coach uh, Brian, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Dutcher, Dutcher, uh, Dutcher. He was down at his bachelor party, playing blackjack at the Hard Rock. So yeah. it was crazy, just kind of how everything turned together. But yeah, so there's been an Iowa basketball Vegas trip before. I have not done it with current student athletes. I'd like to keep my job and. Not go gamble with current student athletes, but once you're done, Patrick, I'll be there. I mean, we can go watch summer league or something. Like, no rules against that. Yeah, and, and if we may, and
2: if if I happen to go to a blackjack table at a casino and you happen to be there, then, then so be yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not giving you money to gamble with. If yeah. Anything, so it's like, like we're money. we're going yeah. out
2: there. Summer, we're going out there for summer league, and if we happen to be playing Pai Gow at three in the morning, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't Just don't tell Barta. I, I, mean. <laughs> I got
0: crushed at Summer League last year, so I don't know. Maybe this time – gonna... Like the
2: first day, and then like lost all of his money so he couldn't gamble anymore. Yeah. No, I got destroyed.
0: But Summer League is very fun. Okay, Brad, I want to ask you this then. We went and played in Vegas. Was that the best trip with the basketball plus – the gambling or whatever else like basketball in Vegas or would you just rather go
1: with no agenda? Uh I can't do my normal Vegas when I'm there working. Uh I'll let you put two and two together with that. But uh it was fun. I mean it was fun beating Texas Tech and then uh great game with San Diego State. So that part of it I really do like I mean sure go to Vegas and basketball is great. The best basketball trip by everyone I ever went on though is the Maui Invite. Uh we see we need to get back there soon. I keep talking to your dad and mom about it. We need to get an invite to that. Cause that was, I mean, the year I went it was 2004 with Horner and Bruner and those guys. And uh, we got runner up to North Carolina. Like we beat Louisville, Texas, and then lost to North Carolina in the championship. And that was the year they won it all. I think they beat Illinois in the championship game in 05. So that was really fun. I'd love to go back there again. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, make sure but when we talk about it. When we
2: tweet this, I'm going to tag the Maui invite and say, hey, like, invite us back, man. It's like, I mean, it can't be that fun to let Michigan State go every other year, and then we never. <laughs> so.
0: No, seriously. I don't know what it is. Something about him. I don't know. We we just can't get an invite. We're, aren't we going back to Florida or something?
1: Yeah, next year. This year's Destin, this August. Um, Al, you know, Al loves Vegas, too. He, I think he'd try and get us back in the Vegas one, and he mentioned it. Um, oh, yeah. Depending on who we play, that'd be a good one. No, he loves
0: Al. Al is not shy about Vegas either. He likes going to which, which casino does he go to, though?
1: He, well, he's gone to Red Rock a lot because that's where Mac McCawson lived. So him and Mac would hang out at Red Rock, which is a great place. Um, yeah. But I don't know if they'll go back to this downtown. Somebody knows Al, knows everybody. Somebody knows the Landrys. So he's at Golden Nugget downtown a lot. But yeah, yeah he just knows some of the people. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Guy knows the around.
0: Yeah. <laughs> let's get off the let's let's move on from the card topic let's hit on let's hit on some basketball stuff um you've been here for a long time you know you've already hit on when you were a student here working for streif then you left for a brief period uh fresno state but then you were back can you run through um a little bit of like your your different eras and the changes and you know the different type of coaching styles i guess it's kind of a long question i'm asking but I just kind of want to know, you know, what what you've witnessed as, a, as an Iowa basketball fan, but also not working for the working for the program as well.
1: Yeah. So when I came, my first year traveling with the team was the 0102 season, I think I was a senior in undergrad. So you guys can do the math my age. But uh, that was, I worked with him a little bit before then, but that was Alford's third year as head coach. Um, and, uh, we had a really good team with Reggie Evans, Luke Recker, um, Dean had, Dean Oliver had just graduated. Um, and, uh, they just won the big 10 champion tournament championship the year before that, uh, kind of had a disappointing year. They ended up making NIT, but, um, should have been, we were top 10 in the country to start the year. I think we played Duke in the United Center. So that was my first season, like intro to actually like traveling with basketball, which was amazing. I think before that year I'd been on like two flights like two commercial flights my entire life and then i jumped on you know the way we traveled charter flights and stuff so i mean i was in love immediately um so i saw from that era on and then i uh, i stayed here and did my master's and phd so that took a long time and i worked with the basketball team the whole time um helping streif out and learning from him because he was very busy out of football and stuff too so i got a really good experience but my last season in Fresno State was 0708 with Licklider. So I was with Steve Alford for what would that be six years, and then Licklider for one year, and then uh, I left to go to Fresno State my first full time job for four years. It happened to be during Matt Gayton's four years here, so I, I I know Gator pretty well, but I wasn't actually here with him. So those are the four years I was gone. In hindsight, it was a good time to be gone other than missing out on Matt because it was Licklider's last two years and then your dad's first two years when uh, Carver was under renovation and our team honestly wasn't that good. <laughs> so I guess comparing them all, um, you know, Steve Alford, he was, he was never an assistant coach. He never has been an assistant coach. Uh, he was kind of an up-and-coming coach from uh, Southwest Missouri State. Uh, I think he would made a Sweet 16 or at least made the tournament. So he was a big name to bring in and he immediately brought in some big name players like Luke Brecker and Reggie and um, uh, a lot of the other guys we got. So he was good at recruiting. Um, He uh, had some good years and then, uh, you know, he made some changes on his staff staff throughout. Um, And then uh, I think he's starting to see things go South. Maybe I'm not sure. He wasn't happy what was going on, but then he left for New Mexico. Uh, You know, we had some good, good people he got a lot of good Iowa recruits you know we had Horner and Bruner and uh Poluska and those guys so you know he recruited in-state pretty well we missed out on I think when he was transitioning here we missed out on Rafe with Friends went to Kansas and then I think uh, before your dad came in is uh when we missed out on like Marcus and Marcus Page and some others so there's just kind of timing where we've missed a few in-state guys but otherwise we've gotten in all the in-state Iowa kids for years I mean I'm trying to remember the last Iowa state in-state kid. It might've been a kid from Remsen, Iowa, this big 6'10 kid. Um, that was back 15, 18 years ago. Um, so, you know, that's always been consistency of our program. And that's when our program is honestly really good is when we get those really good Iowa in-state kids like yourselves, uh, Wieskamp, you know, Keegan, Chris, that's been a staple to our program for as long as I can remember. And then you mix in some good out-of-state recruits um, like, uh, you know, Luca Garza, obviously uh, those sort of guys that come in and compliment and, or are the guy uh, that really builds our program. So I think our program kind of comes and goes with our level of in-state talent, um, which for the state of Iowa, compared to if you're looking at like a California or some bigger population we've done pretty well, but so the consistency has been that, um, you know, the coaching changes throughout Steve Alford, I got along with him great. You know, everybody asked what it was like working with him. Uh, Bill Maxwell is with him, too. He's been here a long time. He's our strength coach. Um, if you were in his inner circle where he, you know, he worked with you and liked you, and he's a big reason I stayed with Iowa basketball for as long as I did because he took care of me. Um, I, I can't say anything bad about him as a as a direct contact, like, person. He was great, great to me, treated me well. Um, I understand, like, how he was perceived by the community. That was probably one of the things that a lot of people didn't like about him. Is there's some stories you hear about him, you know, out and around town, um, which people didn't take too well. And, you know, it's still small town, Iowa, um, which comparing it to the other coaches, you know, Todd Licklider, very smart, very nice guy. He was a more introverted, uh, quiet guy. He didn't really like getting out and about. He didn't like the, the social aspect, the, um, You know the bringing Letterman back and those sort of things. Like he just wanted to coach the game. He didn't want to do all that stuff. Um, You know, it's just his personality. Um, But again, I wouldn't say anything bad about him either because he was actually a really nice guy. His style of play just ended up not working out well. Um, And then your dad, I I think, is does both things really well. Where he's uh, obviously a really good coach, uh, recruits the state well, uh, and he likes getting out and about. I mean, he's. You go out to the community and people love your family. I mean, they love your dad. You know, the people on TV might see him getting mad and, and yelling a little bit, which I think he's calmed down a little bit over the years. But uh, anybody's ever had a conversation with him or, or met him at you know, around town, he is the nicest, most gracious guy. Like everybody loves him. I mean, he loves getting alumni involved, he loves uh you know, supporting the program that way. So uh, I think your your dad has brought in that and he came in as a more experienced coach, right? So when Alfred got here, he was, he'd been a head coach for four years and never been an assistant. Um, whereas your dad had been an assistant. He paid his dues at Notre Dame. He'd been a uh, head coach at smaller schools like Lehigh and Siena and then in Greensboro and then came here. So he, I mean, he'd been around the block when he got here. So he was already a veteran when he got here and he understood the process. So, Uh, That's why I think it's worked out so well is he just does a good job of, of, of of it all really. Uh, So totally different people, totally different styles. Uh, Some things stay the same. A lot of things change, but uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed working with all of them for different reasons, but you know, obviously right now with what we've been doing the last few years, uh, this is the most one I've ever had in my whole career.
0: Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for, the way that you conduct yourself around the state, like, and the way you recruit in-state kids and the way all of that is handled. Like, I feel, you know, I I would agree. Like, like you said, I think if my dad goes out and he's talking to people in the public and he's, you know, it's always well-received and, like, people hold on to that and appreciate that maybe a lot more so than other places because it's such a, you know, it's such a close-knit, almost, like, close-knit state in a way. Like, everybody knows... This is small, it's kind of like everybody knows everybody uh, at the end of the day. You can find connections everywhere. So yeah, they really do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a I think they were up in Clear Lake this past weekend uh at the surf ballroom. They went with their friends who were have a place in Clear Lake, and uh they went to this Ashley McBride, who I have no idea who that is, but I'm sure it was a good concert. And uh yeah, I didn't know they were going. On Monday, the, the entertainment director of the surf ballroom sends me a text message because I, I know that I'm from Clear Lake. <laughs> He's like, Hey. Hey, saw a friend of Margaret there. Just let them, you know, hope they had a good time. Let me know if next time they're coming, I'll help them out.
0: <laughs> yeah, like everybody in the state knows everybody somehow, yeah. so well, there's always going to be connections. So I think that yeah. that's definitely like a big, a big thing that you kind of almost have to do, like as the coach here. Like you got to be able to, got to be able to do that. Um, I wanted to ask one more <clears throat> thing on that. Uh, in terms of anything you would remember basketball wise, like technically uh, in terms, like you kind of hit on coaching styles and personality styles, but in terms of like the coaching style that, you know, the, the way they carried, the way they ran a practice, the way they coached the team <clears throat> in game, you know, talks in the locker room, what what are some things that you think were different among all of them? You know, cause I'll, even Lake Lighter, he was successful elsewhere. So you got to, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, interesting things to take from, from every single person. So I'm just interested to see what you thought, if anything stands
1: Yeah. Great question. I can start with Ladder because he was the most different of the three. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he had the Butler way um, and he had, his practices were pretty short. Uh, we'd go hour, hour and a half from start to finish. Not a lot of film. His, his coaching style is more, we're going to do what we do. We're going to play our tight defense. You know, he had his defensive style of, uh, you know, kind of packing in a little bit more, close on shooters and um, keep it tight. Um, offensively, it was more simple. He didn't get in, into as much of the scout. You know, they'd do some personnel, and, but they'd keep it brief and, and pretty shallow as far as the scout. Um, it was more, this is what we're going to play our style, which is a more slow down style. You know, it wasn't as up and down. It was a slower pace. Like, I think one year, I mean, and you have games where it worked. Like, I think we beat Michigan State one year when they were like sixth and the score was like some awful, like 41 to 37 final score. Uh, I think Purdue, we beat, they were top fourth maybe, but you just, I mean, they just slow it down and do that. Um, I, a lot of people would say it wasn't a very fun basketball to watch. Um, it's tough to argue with that. Uh, but that's how his practice would run and he'd keep it pretty succinct. Um, and Alfred was more like your dad where, uh, he'd get pretty good with the scouts, like pretty in-depth, watched a ton of film. He was definitely an X's and O's junkie. Um, loved watching film and the players, I don't know if it was more than what you guys watch. You guys watch quite a bit of film, uh, as you guys probably know more than I do, but, uh, but he would get pretty big in the scouts and, uh, you know, his, he was at his best when we were in tournaments and you'd have short turnarounds and he'd just pull an all-nighter, watch the film with the assistants and, uh, you know, he was a Bobby Knight guy, so he learned a lot from Knight. I mean, that's a lot of where he came from. Um, uh, so practices with him were long. I mean, we'd go long, uh, pretty difficult practices. We'd work on a, a lot. He brought, he was more of a, a defensive guy, really, but he liked to shoot. I mean, he, he tried to work on defense more. Um, uh, but he was also good ex in those offense, so uh, but definitely longer, like he was the guys would definitely break down a little bit more under him. Uh, and now with you guys, uh, I think our practices are about perfect. I think we kind of dialed in. I mean, he's in year 12 here now, or just finished year 12. We've got to dial into a pretty tight, efficient on-court practice. We do watch a lot of film, which isn't – I mean, it's mentally taxing. Sir Patrick falls asleep a lot, but uh, – Not true. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> I know some guys do. I've heard stories. But oh, <laughs> who they <laughs> you don't see, you don't see me in there. That's a good time for me to get some other stuff done. But uh, I, I like our practice links right now, especially the season goes on. Uh, we dialed in pretty good. Um, and uh, the the difference, you know, is things like the players have changed, coaching styles adapt over time too. Uh, we're you know, when I first started out. Working in this profession, most of the coaches wanted guys to just play. They wanted him on the court. They wanted to play through stuff. They had some nagging injury. It was just more tough it out, tough through it. You know, you just sprain an ankle. If I want him out there, even if he's eighty percent. You know, they, it was more of that mentality. I'm not just saying Alfred did it, but it wasn't just him. It was just coaches in general. But well, I think now we've gotten smarter about it, and uh, and I had to adjust. Like that was one of my things I've had to adjust with with Fran is. When a guy's got something that's bugging him, then I can do, I can. I start out saying, oh, I mean, his ankle's sore, but he can, he can practice with it. And he's like, no, no, like, let's keep him out until he's 100%, until he's ready to go. So he's been more uh, conservative and, and protective of the players than I was initially. I think now we're more on the same page with it. But it's uh, it's definitely a change. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll practice with the guys I've got. If you need to hold five guys out because five guys are sore or hurt, then I'll practice with the guys who've got left and he'll just adapt to it. So it's been good. I think the way our players are treated and, and you know, just generally speaking, not about you guys, but there's a lot more things uh, that you guys have to deal with in 2022 than we did in 2002 when I first started. I mean, you guys got uh, more social media stuff coming at you, like what we're doing right now. I mean, you know, a podcast so it was 20 years ago. Um, you'll get up, a lot more uh, stuff coming at you, NIL stuff. You um, guys are more well-rounded people, honestly. Uh, in 2002, this is a funny, I mean, show my age again. Not, uh, very few of us had cell phones. Reggie Evans had a pager, he had a two-way pager. That's how he was text messaging people. Is it, he had a two-way, this was a little beep around his belt. And then uh, some of us had cell phones. I think I forgot my first one, senior college. So uh, we didn't have instant access to, Everything you guys have now. I mean, you guys finish a game, like you guys finish winning the championship. And I gotta like like just throw stuff at Patrick, like, hey man, you gotta cut your tape off, you gotta get undressed, you gotta shower, we got a bus to catch. He'll just be sitting there on his phone <laughs> reading messages, tweets, and not just him. I mean Joe Toussaint. Oh my gosh, how <laughs> long does it take Joe Toussaint to get ready? <laughs> so so it's, it's interesting how things have changed and, and you guys have changed too. I'm going to see you, the players have changed over the years. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of different things to deal with now than we did 20 years ago.
2: Absolutely. No. Yeah. And this is, so you brought up social yeah. media. That's kind of a question I wanted to yeah. ask you, like, so you're somebody obviously who's there on a daily basis. You know exactly what like every single player is going through, like, because, you're I feel like you're kind of like a sounding board like for most of us it's like because like we just there's so much interaction with you because whether you tape us whether we get treatment whatever so like does the does the like the criticism and stuff that we catch online like does that does that affect you just because you know what it's like for us like every single day
1: yeah that's one of the main reasons I'm on social media is you don't see me posting a whole lot occasionally but it's more just to keep up on what you guys are seeing and doing too like I find out about some of the stuff going on through Twitter, like before you guys walk in the room. So I think for me being aware of what's going on and you know, like stuff J might be going through on his Twitter wars with the parking department or stuff like that. Uh yeah, I think it's good for me to be in low. I mean, my profession's grown a lot in the mental health care aspect of it. And a lot of that has to do with social media influence on it. Student athletes have it. As great as it is to be a student athlete, it's the most difficult thing as well. Uh and I think even more so for men's basketball, women's basketball, football. I mean, you guys are high profile, especially in the state of Iowa. There's no more high profile athletes than you guys. I mean, honestly, football guys wear helmets. Uh, they don't always know their faces or what they look like. Like Spencer Peters could you know, walk down the street and a lot of people might not know who he is because he always has a helmet on. Everybody knows who you guys are. Everybody knows who Caitlin Clark is. Uh, you guys are the most high profile people in the state of, I mean, you know, right there, probably with the governor or even more so than the governor, like kids don't know who the governor is. Most of the kids love you guys. Like they all know who you guys are. So having to deal with that as great as it is, is also challenging too. So yeah, you're right. I do have to, I think it's part of my job, honestly, to be aware of it. Um, and also what's coming at you too. I mean, from a medical aspect, I I don't tweet or say anything about injuries. Somehow it gets out there and Fran and I are really on the same in White or uh sports information guy we're on the same page as what we release what we don't but there's a lot especially with gambling being as as rampant as it is now like sports gambling that is um you know it used to be just in nevada and and that was it, it there's only place you can make a bet and as much as i love las vegas like i absolutely stay away from the sports gambling part of it um number one i like my job more than i like sports gambling but I feel like I do need to be aware of what's going on in our world, too, because I'm sure you guys see stuff or somebody wants to hit you up, whether it's a, a friend or you know, some random person say, hey, you know, Patrick, you playing like, you know, Patrick, getting a couple injuries here and missing games. Like if you miss a game, that could move the line a point or two. Uh, so understand that you guys might get hit up with that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a big part of me understanding what you guys are seeing through social media
0: my my favorite my favorite texts are game day texts from people i haven't heard of heard from in months <laughs> hey bro like great good luck today hey by the way like is, how's jable J- feeling like is jable playing <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> yeah
0: i hey yeah i don't know brother like i, I just, normally normally i just don't reply but if somebody yeah. like hey hey man like you know really great job so far this season like how's Keegan's ankle is he getting better? Like, yeah, really? You yeah. really want yeah. to know, Keegan? I
1: swear to God, my wife doesn't know a lot of that stuff. Like, my like, she was like, "Oh, Keegan wasn't going to play tonight, huh?" She doesn't know. Like, I don't tell her. My my brothers have just—I mean—they've learned over the years. They don't like my like, my own family doesn't like. I don't tell them that stuff at all. Like, it's just not—I'm not I'm not messing around with it. So, yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I think most people I know have just stopped trying. Now they just know it's not. Getting it from me, but you guys, I'm sure you get help from some kid you had freshman high school class with, and they're like, "Hey man, what's up?" Yeah, no, exactly.
2: Oh, one of my buddies texted me. I forget which game was, but it was when I was sitting, so my freshman year, and he's like, he he didn't even try to hide it. He's like, "Hey bro, like, (laughs) I'm throwing some money on the game. Like, how are you guys feeling?" He's like, "How was practice yesterday? All this stuff," and we ended up winning the game but we had a horrible practice the day before. So it's like, if I were to tell him like, like, Oh, like how we practiced the day before, then like he probably would have been on the other team and then we would have won. But like, he's like, he didn't even try to hide it. He was like, Oh, like, like, I'm thinking about throwing some money. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, and I just had to leave it. I was like, bro, I just, I just can't. Fuck yeah. that. You know, it's at least
1: it's like, yeah, we don't even know. Like, I mean, you and me, like you guys are playing the game. I'm right there. Like, Keegan missed the game at Purdue with his ankle. And, of course, you know, we all know, like, if you think you know something about sports gambling, you would you would bet against us to not cover, knowing that Keegan's out that night. And I can't remember what the spread was, but I'm sure we probably covered it. We only lost by seven. Yeah. No, we covered
0: that game. I remember specifically because I looked at ESPN, like, beforehand to see, like, I, I never know what time we play. So, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I truly have no idea. That's not a joke. I'm not, like, trolling. <laughs> like, that sounds insane. Like, I never know what time our games are. So, I look at the ESPN app, and it says, you know, it says the line right there. Then I was, like, after it got announced that Keegan was out, like, somebody broke it on Twitter, and I was curious. So, like, I went and checked the line. It jumped, like, seven points. Like, six. It was, like, six points or something insane. Like, we went from, like – I don't. I don't remember what it was, but it was. I feel like it was something like maybe like minus eight or minus nine to like a minus fifteen or minus minus sixteen, something in that in that range. Like once it was released, that key. So I mean, that's that's huge information for the yeah gamblers.
2: Yeah. I only re- I only know what time we play because then I'll know if we get sandwiches or not after shoot
1: around. <laughs> if we get Jersey mics, it's a late game. <laughs>
2: exactly. Jersey, like like I asked Slavens what time we play, so I know what like if we're gonna get like Jersey mics or Potbelly belly or whatever it is. So that's the reason I do play. Otherwise, I'd have no idea. I... <laughs> all
0: right, Brad. One last question yeah. before we take a quick break. Okay. What is the weirdest injury you've ever seen on a play? You don't have to say names. I know that violates you know HIPAA or whatever, yeah. maybe. But
1: what is the strangest injury that you've seen in all your years? S- strange oh wow we've had some strange ones even this year like so yours yours is this one with your arm is a weird one but it's kind of i mean it's kind of boring like our doctors have never seen an injury so they're going to write up a case report on it um, but there's one i can't here's a here, this might be the most gruesome one too and i can say this one because it was there's an article written about it in espn the magazine a while back uh so it was at fresno state we had a kid named tyler johnson who ended up sp- He's, I think, he's out of the league now. He might end a ten-day, had a ten-day 10 with the Spurs this year with Weezy when he was there. But he was at the Heat for five years. He had a, ended up having a good contract. But anyway, he was at Fresno State. He got, 50 million. He got fifty million.
0: Yeah, yeah, he had
1: a four-year fifty million deal with uh, <laughs> Miami. Yeah, he went from like ten days contracts for like two years, and then it got a, all of a sudden got this fifty mil, and then he went back to a league minimum, and then ten days. But um, so we we're practice, and he like dives for a loose ball. And he undercuts this big Serbian kid. we got Nedelko Golubovic uh, and the kid Ned fell on top of Tyler's head. So Tyler's face down on the court and Ned fell on his head and drove his face into the court. And, and I see it. And I'm like, Oh crap, that's is not going to be good. So I run over there. And I basically like roll Tyler over and he's got like chiplets for teeth left. Like there's a full tooth on the court there's another half tooth over here, a chip, like over here, there's like a dent in the court from his tooth. And he's just got a blood full of mouth. Like his teeth were a comp- absolute disaster. And he just like, ah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he wanted to like practice again. i like, no. So I had to like put two of the teeth back in. Like I luckily had just been to like a dental conference thing about sports injuries. And uh, so I was fresh in my mind. So like basically put the teeth kind of back together Drove him to the dentist, and we went to dentist appointments for like months. He got ended up looking better at the exact braces, but then, as fast forward, he, his rookie year in Miami, something similar happens again. I think he's elbowed the mouth, gets two other teeth, like not even the same teeth, different teeth knocked out. So, just seeing like walking up to a guy and you see like three teeth on the court was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to feel for the guy. Like, that's just something. Yeah. He just gets destroyed by Ned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It was, yeah. Ned, Ned. Ned's like, oh, should have dove into me. Yeah. It's like typical Serbian. Like, yeah. Ned, Ned is a lot like Philip. Like, this is, it must be the Serbian mentality. Yeah. He's
2: like, oh, oh it was my fault. <laughs> it. Bottom that's a weak teeth. That's what I learned from
1: that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her mouse guard. No, we'll not wear a mouse guard. If mouse I guard. got
0: three teeth knocked out, I'd probably wear one.
1: Yeah, you would think that's what ESPN. The magazine was saying, like at what point do you start wearing a mouse guard? It's yeah. like, ah, let's deal with it.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break yeah. and we'll be right back after this.
2: All right. Welcome back everybody to episode 10 of teed up uh, shout out. Hames Home, providing comfort and care in Eastern Iowa and uh, I'm back with my uh, less esteemed co-host Connor McCaffrey (laughs) our our good guest Mr. Brad Floyd my good friend the guy loves Vegas anyways so we talked about Tyler Johnson and his weak teeth hopefully he doesn't listen to this and get mad at me but anyways so we want to talk about another player that you had at Fresno State Brad who is actually he's, he's not bad his name's Paul George I think he makes like over 100 million dollars in his college so just and he's one of the top 15 players in the NBA so kind of like talk about him a little bit and just kind of what it was like
1: with him yeah Paul is great uh Paul when I got there he just arrived uh we got the race the same time he's coming as a freshman uh from just outside of LA uh so Paul funny thing about Paul is he was the youngest of two uh, he had two older sisters uh both played college basketball his mom. And dad's names were Paul and Paulette. So, so I like it took me a while to like actually figure it out. But uh, Paul, Paulette got married, had a son, and his sisters aren't like they're not, I don't, they're nothing like related. But so Paul George. So, uh, and nobody knew who Paul was like he wasn't a big recruit. Uh, I mean, he was top like 20 in the LA area or something like that, like nothing that big. So he was skinny, he's probably like six, seven, 190 maybe when he got there. And as our head coach Steve Cleveland is like, he's like, yeah, that guy's he's gonna be pretty good. He's like, yeah, whatever, like doesn't look like much, but uh, so he was. I as a person loved the kid. Like, pretty, uh, pretty stoic, very humble, uh, mature kid. I mean, his sisters kept him in the line. His parents, his dad is like a blue collar factory worker or something like non glamorous. His mom was disabled. Um, but he was pretty humble background. Uh, but his freshman year, I mean, he just all of a sudden just exploded where uh, our head coach was acting like, right, like, yeah, the kid's pretty good. I think it was this, it was our second game of the season we played at St. Mary's, and it was one of those, like, 24-hour things where the ESPN did 24 hours of games. He uh, we tipped off, like, at midnight or something crazy. Uh, he just just puts one on this guy's head. I mean, it was the, one of the best dunks I've ever seen. It was 18-year-old freshman, and it was yes, his sports center top play of the uh, day like and nobody's heard of Paul George and then all of a sudden like November 10th he's on ESPN so from there like scouts noticed him so he his freshman year he was good but he needed some work and then his sophomore year uh, like every game there was 10 scouts there. It was a lot like what Keegan went through this year is you know you go to pregame warmups warm-ups and there's just 10 scouts around the court like watching them every movie makes uh, so they're just drooling over him, and you just knew like he was, uh, he was done. I mean, he wasn't going to get, we were in the whack at the time. It's basically what the Mountain West is now, but Fresno State was in the whack counts at the time. And he was like, he was like NBA scout lovable, but he wasn't that great of a player at the time. He just had so much potential. Like, I, he was second team all whack that year. Like, he wasn't even close to player of the year. Like, Utah State had a good couple players. Um, Nick Babbitt at Nevada was pretty good that year, but he wasn't like, he was, like I said, second team all whack, which isn't saying much. He averaged like 14 a game, but he, uh, he ended up getting drafted 10th. Like he's a lottery pick because it, it was a lot like Keegan. So as far as personality and type of person, I think they were a lot of like they're both, you know, pretty humble, quiet, stoic guys. Um, very likable. Uh, the difference is, is as a sophomore in college, Keegan is is way better. Like Paul just had that potential where they all the scouts are just betting on his potential, how good he could be. And where Keegan, we already know like he's really good and he still can get a lot better. Um, But he's a hopefully consensus all American and he's first team all AP. So that's the difference in them. But as far as like those things you look for and like what can be a great player and type of person, they both have it. I mean, there, there's so much similarity there. I, I think Keegan really could be an NBA all Like, I didn't think Paul George was going to be an NBA all-star. and up being a seven-time NBA all-star, gold medalist. Uh, I really think Keegan can. Uh, so, hopefully, he proves us all right. But. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think Paul uh, Paul was like a true sophomore, right? Like, was he like 19, yeah. 19 20? Yeah, he was a little
1: bit younger. Yeah, so He was a little
0: younger. older, a year or two, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think – I think Paul's maybe a little shiftier because when he probably when he was younger, he had to be, you know, in terms of his handle and, and everything. But Keegan's definitely like that the body and the strength. And I don't want to say the athleticism because Paul is
1: obviously extremely athletic. But his rookie year at in Indiana, he wasn't playing much. They ended up firing coach and then hired, I think, Thibodeau, maybe kind of blanking on the order of that. But they just said, you got to learn how to play defense. And he became, he made himself an all defensive player. Like he's been in an NBL defensive time, like three or four times. That's what got him the playing time. And then the scoring came after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: cause that's how a lot of guys carve their, carve their way in the NBA. Definitely. Um, no, yeah. So I, I'm glad we covered that because I saw you tweeted about it before and I was very interested in what, you know, what you had to say about that. And I think, you know, I do think there's some, some similarities there. Uh, You know, Keegan mentions like guys that he likes comparisons of himself, and I think he I think he said honestly one of them might have been Paul George. Um, But yeah, so let's let's shift a little bit here. Uh, I want to talk about something a little bit more delicate, but very special to the program, special to you, obviously, special to us. Um, A lot of people know this story, but for those who don't, we have a manager, Luke Slavens, who. During a practice one day, uh, he he collapsed. And I was in the bathroom. Other guys were out on the court. like we, It was kind of like in a little lull in practice. It might have been during shooting.
1: Yeah, it was during
2: um, shooting. It was, yeah. I remember he was rebounding for us,
1: me and yeah, Joe.
0: So it was during shooting. And all of a sudden, he just collapses. And I walk out, and I see him on the ground, and you are huddled over him getting people away. And so if you could just you know talk about what what happened a little bit or what you know whatever you're allowed to cover um just that situation as a whole how i mean you literally saved you know you saved his life and you know the EMTs got there um uh, but you had to handle that for for a lot of the time you know obviously you weren't expecting to come to work that day and you weren't thinking about <laughs> going to be something that happened uh you know in the middle of practice so i guess just hit on hit on that a little
1: bit yeah it's uh yeah you never expect it and uh, Luke was, I think, a sophomore manager at the time. Um, and unfortunately, it's—I've it's been around us a few times now, uh, but with Luke, yeah, he was rebounded for Patrick and Joe and uh, just kind of felt lightheaded. And uh, I thought he was just going to faint. That's usually most of the time what it is, especially in a 20-year-old college student. And uh, as I'm talking to him, he just stopped answering, started kind of fading off and, uh, my athletic training student Zoe uh, was right there with me. And so he was, as he was fainting, like he was sitting in a chair on the court and uh, checking his pulse, checking his breathing and he lost both of it. So uh, we had an AED right there every practice. So Zoe went and grabbed it and uh, she called 911. So I started doing, uh, well, I put the AED on, shocked him once, started doing chest compressions. And literally within uh, we have the recording from the AED. It was within two minutes. He would regained his pulse and was conscious and talking. So that he was really in a perfect situation other than if you're actually in the hospital at the time it happens because we had an AED right there. And there was a day of the women's basketball game. So upstairs on the concourse, there was a paramedic crew. So they were already in the building. Um, but by the time we'd call 911 um, and we were not to brag ourselves, we were so fast with getting the AED and using it. That by the time they could get from upstairs to us in the practice gym, he was already conscious, but which doesn't normally work that way. I mean, most of the times, you somebody goes into cardiac arrest, most of the time, it doesn't work at all. And then, if it does, for them to actually like become conscious, like Luke, we joke about it now, but he, we were, I was doing chest compressions and he pushes the mask off his face and he's like, What's going on? And he, he, he kind of realized what had happened. I don't know if I ever told him or not, he had went cardiac arrest, but he's like, told me his syndrome that he has, I think it, this is all, this is all in the paper. So I'm not breaking any HIPAA rules. And he's like, call my mom. <laughs> so, so that's what we did. And he was, I went to the hospital. He, your parents went with us and uh, he's doing great, did great. So for that to like, everything worked just perfectly for Luke in that situation. Uh, and I, I mean, just for me, it was just training that had kicked in. Um, I've done it once before on a, a, 60-ish year old guy on the concourse of Carver a few years before that. Um, we had a kid at camp collapse one year. Um, and then most recently, this was after Luke, but we had Stan Goldstein in Maryland. So uh, Stan's story is pretty public too, but his happened, his cardiac arrest happened behind our visitor's bench right at halftime of the Maryland game. So um, I don't need to rehash that story because you can read about it pretty easily, but amazing what happened and amazing the people we have here in Iowa City to help somebody in that situation. I mean, I can't thank enough the physicians and Johnson County Ambulance Service for what they do. Uh, I mean, you guys are seeing it and you guys have lived here most of your lives at this point. Um, Patrick's been through a lot himself medically and the Iowa City medical professionals, they're incredible. Uh, I mean, we're a world-class institution here. I mean, starting with what you guys see daily basis, our team positions, like I can't finish a podcast without thinking Dr. Markison, Dr. Bolier, our fellows, Dr. Krill, uh, Dr. Negard a couple of years ago. I mean, these guys take care of you guys on a daily basis. And if you guys got something, we call them up and they respond quickly. So we're really fortunate to have them. Uh, we're fortunate to have people like John Street who spent 40 years here developing these systems that we have in athletics. And then we've got the people at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics i mean we have you guys see all the specialists in the hospital for anything like the access you guys have to this world-class care i mean it's second to none so I mean, you guys could speak about it more than a lot of people um, how awesome they are here so i'm fortunate to get to work with them and access them for your guys benefit
0: yeah no i think i mean the the way that the way that things are handled, because I think sometimes I don't don't want to say we take it for granted because I think we're all definitely very grateful, but I will say like a lot of, I don't think a lot of us understand that it's not like this at most other places, the way that, the way that Doc Bowyer, Dr. Krill, Dr. Markson, the the way they're at practice and they're coming and talking and checking us out. Like those are busy guys that have a lot, like, I mean, Dr. is doing, you know, surgeries you know and then he and then he's coming over to waking up at 5 a.m then he then he hits practice and he's checking us out like I mean you know that that type of stuff it doesn't happen everywhere you know I've talked to other players and I've, I've heard about I've heard some bad stories like botched you know trainers that have been bad that completely botch injuries and keep them out of games because they don't know what they're talking about and they meet with doctors and doctors misdiagnose or they give them the wrong pills or whatever i mean you can go the stories go on and on The things that i've heard and that just doesn't happen here and i think you know it's something that doesn't it i mean it doesn't go unnoticed i think everybody knows that we do have the, the you know some of the best care in the world like you said you know second to none and i think that it just needs to be highlighted in in every way and i mean obviously you know the the one that's nearest to our hearts is involving patrick so i mean patrick if you want to hit on a little bit of that as well i'll give you the give you the full. Well, yeah, so,
2: oh, I wasn't even going to talk about my thyroid at first. I was just going to say like like it's crazy like like if you're in, anywhere in Iowa City, like like I remember Connor when when I broke my arm cuz you tackled me when I was in like 5th grade, 6th yeah. grade, like yeah. we were at Jack's flag football game. And of course, like a coach whose game just got finished was like an orthopedic surgeon at like Mercy Hospital or something. So he knew exactly like what to do. Boom boom boom, got me to the hospital. Like and did all that stuff and then like checked up on me and like that was like my doctor for that point when I broke my arm it's like you can't go anywhere in Iowa City and like not be around like a doctor like where something like that could happen and a doctor isn't present or somebody who has some direct connection to a doctor or medical experience or whatever and then obviously you know just kind of speaking like just to myself and like the the care that I've received at the University of Iowa for. Cause I've dealt with like, like my thyroid and cancer stuff is obvious, but there's been like a, a lot of other stuff that I've, I've had to deal with too, just kind of like maybe side effects, I guess, but like other medical things, like, like I've had like cardiology appointments as well. Like, um, like digestive appointment, like all that kind of stuff. So it's like, and everybody I've encountered has been so great and so like willing to help and and learn. And then like, obviously my endocrine people for my thyroid and then my surgeons and everybody's was just like, like so incredible to me and like, they really want to help. And that's something that, um, it just doesn't go unnoticed and it's just been super awesome. And then obviously now with where I am, it all starts with Brad and that's kind of the first line of defense in terms of anything that goes wrong with anybody. And it's just, it's yeah, we just are very blessed here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Last a couple of
0: questions here, Brad. Yeah. I want to go back to, we've talked about, you know, your, your unique perspective and the things that you hear in the training room, or, you know, whatever else. Um, we're not going to have a draft because I wanted to ask you this un, unscripted. I want you to give me some of your all-time favorite players slash stories that you hear in the training oh, room, ones that you actually hit on. And I know that that's a wide range. (laughs) If there's any that stick out, um, you know, obviously for the most part, you have. I feel like you have a good relationship with everyone. But I think if there's any guys that you know stand out, and you know, just some of the things you hear in the training room, like that, are just
1: hilarious. Like just insane. That's wow. a great question. Cause I mean, I could, I, I could go out, I could do a half hour easily at least. And I'm going to leave, i don't to leave Patrick out of it. Like I can start with Patrick, but I'll leave them out of that. Just out of respect for having me on the podcast, but I, also gotta, have to leave it. I can take, I, can I take. also got to keep it appropriate too. I, I don't want to get an explicit tag. So uh, I'll start, I got three, three of the funniest ones that I can think of. So I'll start with my first year, Reggie Evans, Reggie diehard, lifelong Iowa fan. I always love the guy. So I'll say that I, I always love him and uh but I gotta tell the story because it's just hilarious. He he was a double-double machine every game, double-double. He's getting interviewed after one of the games. Hey Reggie, what do you what do you think when the chat what do you think about when the crowd is chanting your name when you're uh you know during a game? He's like, Man, they're my two favorite words to hear. Reggie. <laughs> That's
2: classic. Yeah. That, is a great, fair, that is an all-time great quote. Yeah. Two I favorite words: red
1: G. <laughs> <laughs> that is stories, but that's the best one. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't answer this question without bringing up Josh Oglesby.
2: You can't, well, you
1: can't. No, Josh, Josh Oglesby. So, first of all, this is the same kid who went to the wrong class for half a semester before realizing he was in the wrong class. Like he was supposed to be in the classroom next door. He was just going to the wrong room. It wasn't even the same it wasn't like it was rhetoric and rhetoric. It was like two totally different classes. So that's this is the kid we're talking about. One time he asked me, why if if pilots can get speeding tickets in airplanes. <laughs> and I've been told, yeah. Yeah. I go, maybe, I mean maybe I don't know, but he's like, if they can't, then why don't they just go as fast as they can? Her <laughs> <Third> question, Josh. That's a horrible,
2: horrible question. He doubled yeah. down. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: And then the third one, most recently, so CJ Frederick, uh, the, the guy can talk and tell us, like, just entertain you for hours. But he, he – one of his many injuries he had when he was here, I was like, all right, CJ, here's what you're going to do when you go home. You're going to do this and this, and you're going to ice it. Like like I sit off and on tonight, I go, do you have a, do you want me to send some ice home with you? Or do you have ice at home that you can use? Well, if we have ice at home, I don't know where it would be. <laughs> and I'm like, I look at him like, Are you are you serious? And he's like, I mean, I don't know where I don't know where stuff is. I'm like, CJ, it's ice. It's in, the, it's in the freezer, bro. <laughs> yeah. you idiot. Yeah. It's in the uh, he yeah, he ruined with Weezy. Weezy, I told Weezy this like immediately. Like, I gotta find Weezy. Weezy's just like, oh no.
0: Why am I not surprised that he would say some dumb shit like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just that's funny, but like that's also that's the worst one.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> like, that's
0: pretty bad. Like
1: <laughs> J-O, like okay, reasonable question, but I mean, but I mean, come on, J-O. he's, to... he's yeah <laughs> who just is like you. Just you
2: had to expect something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I don't know, <laughs> Brad. I remember one conversation in the training room this year that I'm not even going to mention who was involved or like what was being said, but I remember like you were in there for the whole thing, and like kind. Yeah. Pound- it was one of the more insane conversations I, I was there right. that I've ever been a part of in my entire I couldn't,
1: life. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, like, yeah. I'm, I keep looking around, like, checking the door, making sure, like, nobody walks in in the middle of this.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to talk about what was covered because quite. I, I really don't even remember. It was insane. Like, insane. Yeah. I'm not going to bring up anything yeah. that was said.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, like, we can't talk about it, but it was insane.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, just, and like, I remember like, we, we, like, we get done with the conversation. We're about to walk into film and I just look at Brad and Brad's like, like shaking his head, like with his head. <laughs> like, what am I?
0: <laughs> Brad, what would you say? Like, give me a percentage of stuff that is talked about that you hear that you don't think that like that the people who are talking about it don't know that you're hearing, but like you, you get, you're
1: getting everything. Oh, it's, I mean, it's easy to have. They think, cause like, you're taping an ankle or you're doing like that they can't that i can't hear what you're saying yeah like, no i especially now like most guys don't bring headphones in anymore they're like or the stuff like the other thing is things you guys are doing on your phone while you're getting treatment like i'll take a glance at like what you're scrolling through on tiktok or like your dms and i'm like what are you guys looking at yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you, you think i can't see
2: that it's right there yeah <laughs> It's to the point now where I just tell Brad everything. I tell Brad everything. Okay.
1: Yeah. No. You're, I mean, you're
0: do so many conversations.
1: Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll finish with a great one. Uh, this was Josh Oglesby and Bobby Hanson, and uh, oh god, two together. Uh, so Bob, Josh is like, he's going through his like DMs, and I'm like, I go, you guys have it so easy these days to to meet girls. Like, you can just like sign in DMs, or they're, they're you don't even have to do it. They're just sending it to you like. You don't even have to try. Like they're just and Josh is like, yeah, And Bobby Hansen goes, Bradley, who's never that hard."
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like, "Bobby, we're not, we're
2: not all Bobby Hansen. Sorry.
0: Yeah. We don't all play we didn't all play on the Bulls, bro." Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> no, we didn't play with MJ, dog. Like Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah he's got his ring out. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he's wearing it. He's always yeah. No, he's almost
2: left it in a Buffalo
0: yeah no, that, <laughs> that did happen but we don't need to we don't need to
1: cover that
2: did he call you bradley
1: he calls me bradley it's hilarious yeah <laughs> like, yeah okay
2: bradley how are you Great, <laughs> Yeah, concert.
1: awesome
0: All right. last thing i i actually do want to ask you this because you've been in more arenas than anyone our very first the, the question people always ask us what is what's the craziest, loudest arena atmosphere, whatever. And we all, we had a draft on it with Joe T and Patrick and I, and I was in there with you when we were thinking about what we were going to do, but I know you had an interesting story on it. So I wanted to give you, you know, the floor here to talk about what your
1: experiences have been. Oh yeah. Like, so the craziest, like most difficult places to play. First of all, um, I don't want to give any credit to that place two hours west of here. So I'm not going to mention it or bring it up. Uh, I don't want to give them any credit at all. So I'm taking them off the table. Um, So aside from that, uh, I think the Palestra was one of the craziest environments I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, that place was 95 degrees packed, like loud music, uh, it was so, it was like a crazy, like 60 degree day in Philadelphia on January 3rd. Place was so hot. Like, Joe Toussaint, Luke Garza were absolutely drenched. Uh, I mean, I took off my sport coat. Maxwell was down to like his boxers and his undershirt, I think, by the end of the game. He was so much like it was insane. I mean, it was a great game, too. I and mean, we didn't come out on the right side of it, but incredible game and atmosphere. So, that, I mean, that's number one on my list for the craziest atmospheres and toughest places we've ever played. Oh, I
0: mean, that game, I remember the court started to get so slippery that people yeah. were just falling
1: down because it was so humid in the gym. Yeah, every towel in the place was soaked. You didn't have a dry towel and wipe off the court. We're like, it, was, it was close to where, like, hey, we need to call this game. Like, yeah. it was basically unsafe. No, the palestra was not
0: – palestra was getting old. Like, it wasn't, wasn't made for, for that kind of stuff, I guess, back in the day. I don't know what it was, but – it was packed, and Penn State's yeah. never had more fans at a game, at a basketball yeah. They're, game. I think they are ranked at the time. Yeah, they were. They were really good. Year. That was going to be the one year they made the tournament, and then COVID canceled yeah. it, and the chambers got fired. Yeah. that. But that was, like, their year. They hadn't made the tournament, hadn't made it, and then they were 100% going to make it. And then, of course, yeah. the season gets canceled. We all, we all yeah.
2: But the, the, the Penn State, like, lion like, that they always play, like, out of the thing, is, like, forever stuck in my head because of that day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know what I can't listen to now is uh, Elton John, Philadelphia, Freedom. Like, every time I hear it on the radio, I got it. Like, because after the game, there's there's no – like, there's basically no locker room. Like, you had a yeah. four-by-four-foot, like, cubicle. is our locker room. Uh, I couldn't go to the locker room. After the game, they are blaring that song on repeat the whole time. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. Yeah. No, I remember that day was nuts. It was a great
0: atmosphere and like I'm grateful that we played, but it would have been a lot better if we had won for sure. <laughs> yeah I was sick that day too. I was throwing I had that stretch where I couldn't play in a morning game. Remember, I would just throw up. Yeah. So that was that happened. Um but anyway, all right, Brad. Thank you so much for for joining us. I feel like we covered a lot of great stories, a lot of big time stuff. Um I I guess soon enough we're gonna be hitting the golf course, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: A few weeks. You need to get out there. Yeah, a few weeks. You, I mean, you love to play, right? You oh play yeah. I'll play anytime. Yeah. Time. All the time. I'm terrible. I'm going to, I'm going to make a serious investment in my game this summer. So we'll see. It's going to be basketball and golf, like no school, nothing. Just going to try to get somewhat respectable. And if I can't, I might give it up. So we'll see. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great. Fun. Thanks Brad. Yeah. We're going to keep it going and maybe we'll, once we get uh, once we, you know, do some episodes in the future, we'll try to have you back on at some point and hit on some more hit on some more stories. So yeah. thank you. Yep, I'm no sure. problem. this was uh, this was big time. Shout out Hames Holmes one more time, appreciate them. But it's gonna do it for episode ten. Thanks. Thanks everybody. <laughs>